Frank Kruger, how are you doing? Hey, James. Uh, I'm excited because just before you hit record, you said, I've got a good one. And I love it when you come up with good topics. So I'm excited for tonight. I mean, it's not maybe the best topic, but it is a topic. We can say that. (laughs) Uh, I'm in the mood for anything tonight or this morning because we're releasing at midnight. That's correct. Well, as I watch the sun go down on the horizon and it soon, you know, gets dark at, well, I don't know. Is it going to be daylight savings times after this one comes out? When is daylight savings? No, does we fall back or do we move forward? What am I about to lose an hour? Frank, what's I, going on? I don't know. The The internet hates it. I hate it. Um, I believe daylight savings is during the summer. And yes, we're falling back in the fall. Uh, so I guess we're going to standard time. I don't know. Yeah. You know, if the internet has its way, we're going to have this thing abolished. But it doesn't seem like the internet's going to get its way. Uh, November 1st. Oh, my gosh. It's happening. Everybody, you just got... Well, good thing we release this on a Monday because then it would be like we're releasing it, but then really it'd be like one o'clock. Man, daylight savings is the worst. That's not the topic, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I had a few, two two options, but I picked one. You want to know what the first option was that I didn't pick, Frank? Oh, are, are we going to ruin it? What if we want to use that one for next week? But uh, yeah, I definitely want to hear it. So I really was interested in talking about real-time um, vehicle automation with machine learning built in with stereoscopic cameras. Nice. I like that. That's not what we're going to talk about, Frank. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, these cars, (laughs) right? (laughs) These cars, they can like stay in their lane. They can like brake for you automatically. They can like speed up. They can speed down for you. Like it's, it's, and there's like eyes in in vehicles now. It's really (laughs) crazy. Oh, are we doing a car episode? This is really exciting for me. No, what I want no. to talk about oh my tonight, goodness, actually, you keep teasing me. This is not fair, James. They really are amazing. We should do a car episode. What I want to talk about tonight is application security that Apple and Google have been enforcing upon the world, basically, in recent updates. And this has a little bit to do with NSURL, but not a lot to do with NSURL, okay? Uh <laughs> Just for a little behind the scenes, I keep pitching an episode topic called NSURL, and James keeps shutting it down. But one of these days, I think he's teasing me yet again that I might get some NSURL talk in here. But carry on. Well, we can talk about it a little bit because on each operating system, applications themselves can have unique data schemes that can open them. We've talked about this pretty heavily. Uh, Both uh, Island Tracker, for example, uses data schemes to automatically open the application on the device. And this is a nice way that you can let the system kind of open it automatically. This is, you know, my application is AC Island Tracker, colon, slash, slash. Frank may have one that's like iCircuit, colon, slash, slash. It's similar to HTTP, right? But it's not HTTP. It's a specific URL scheme for your application. Yep, yep. And they've been around for a while. It's our first form of interprocess communication on iOS. Android has always had better interprocess communication, but it's all that we've had on iOS. Uh, they got kind of nerdy in the early days. Uh, we were doing like X callback URLs, like we we're trying to get fancy with integrating with amps, apps, other apps. And then I think we went through a little bit of a recession. Like I hadn't seen many people doing much with them. 
And then <laughs> uh, we got shortcuts and widgets. And I think these things are making a pretty big comeback. Um, Universal links. Have you used the GitHub app for iOS? You know, I installed the GitHub app and I enjoy the new updated version that they released. However, for me, I just don't want to have another glaring blue dot just staring at me the entire time of all the issues and updates. I think back in the day when I was just working on my own projects, it wasn't so bad. But now that I'm in like the Microsoft org and I'm on all these repos for like the .NET website, like docs, MS Learn, like all this stuff, it's like there's just a constant inundation. I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to have this power on my phone, Frank. It's too much. Oh, that's funny. Is it actually a blue dot, not a red dot? No, a blue They're dot. Like, when you go to GitHub.com, it'll stare uh, you in the face. Sure. And it's a big notification blue dot. Right. Okay. But, you know, I just imagine that that blue dot has been carried over into the into the app. It probably has. <laughs> but, I mean, on the home screen, it is a red dot. But, well, um, you know, know. It, it's a pretty thorough app to the point where GitHub has decided to take over not just URL schemes like you're talking about. They take over HTTP URLs. So if someone gives you an HTTP URL to GitHub, the app takes over and launches into the app. At first, I thought that was kind of clever and neat. And then I deleted the app because there was no way to turn that feature off. I think it was the universal links feature, but it felt even more universal than that. And the problem I kept running into was... Though I love mobile apps and I make my living off of mobile apps and the GitHub mobile app is pretty good, it's not as good as their website. And I kept getting frustrated that they kept funneling me into their app. Yeah, and I think that Google and Apple are having this this split decision of how much they want to push people towards URL-based HTTP routes to support it in their apps or to have these custom schemes because Google, they wanted to index the world and they had this <laughs> app indexing, you know, blitz basically that said, if you let us, if you can map your mobile app to your website and URLs and we can, you know, when people search, we can say open in the app from the Google and then they can open and you can deep link and people can send you a URL. And if you click on it, it'll open the app if it has the app. And, th and that's nice because only one person can own a domain name, right? And then the verification process is, uh, you know, a, uh, a file that is on that web server, and that's just a sort of universal link. But then, sort of, I you haven't really heard too much about it. And then you're right; you got the shortcuts, you have other sort of deep linking technology, and those all require custom, you know, URLs to some extent, where you can do custom things. You could take in additional um, query parameters. You can you can react in different ways. Um, which are really, really nice. However, in the most recent releases of Android, at least, it is now matching the complexity of iOS, which is that when you are an app developer and I, let's say, want to call into another app. So I'm I'm um, Circuit, Circuit Simulator <laughs> 5 billion, and I want to open something in iCircuit. We want to be best friends, right? This is a nice compliment. Um, I would probably query to say like, does, does this user have this application? You know, is there any other applications that support this URL? Right. And the problem is that now you have to 
specify all of this information in either your info P list or in your Android manifest file. And in fact, Frank, what Google has done is that there is many ways to open an application. They're called intents. You could be like, this is a dial. This is a view. This is a SMS or whatever. There's different intents because it's even more complex than like that. Like a data scheme can have like, you know, a specific type of um, 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 intent or action instead of just open, it can be like open, but really open with the intent of making a phone call. So it's like very specific. Um, now what they've done is they said, you have to specify not only the intent that you would like to query, but you also have to specify the data scheme, right? Mm. Which is crazy. Cause so if you want to say, does my device have a web browser? Like, you know, and, and as an app library developer, I probably want to do this as a good citizen. So if someone's using my library, it doesn't blow up if they don't have a browser for some reason. I have to then tell the developer to go update their Android manifest with this crazy code to specify it. So it's like they're 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 encouraging the use, but also at the same time trying to tamper it down. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because it, uh, the similarities to iOS uh, abound. Uh, in the latest iOS 14, Apple has the concept of UTIs, universal type identifiers, and it's a really complex system. The simple version of it, or <laughs> something similar to it, are MIME content types. So all of our HTTP uh, requests tell you the data type, and that's called the MIME type. And that tells you what the data is, hopefully. Hopefully it's not lying. And Apple didn't subscribe to that because I think they had the system before that. They have the UTIs instead. And what you see now is like in the old days, if I was writing an app, I would say, uh, file open dialog box, show me all files of star.txt or star.doc or something like that. But instead, on the Apple side, what you do is you specify these UTIs, these uh, universal type identifiers. They look like URLs. They're rever reverse domain notation kind of URLs. Um, so you'd have com.microsoft.com word would be like one of these things and there's a whole hierarchy of them and they're very complex and so i just find it funny that um all these systems are mirroring each other all these weird data hierarchies it's true yes the uni uniform type identifier uti it is it's almost like a collection of it so it says for like here's a jpeg for example it may be defined in one of the following a four character JPEG, .jpg, .jpeg, or image slash JPEG. And like the, the UTI replaces all of these with a public string called public.jpeg. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's any better, but like, okay, I guess, you know, at some point, but you're right, then you can do the, 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 the actual, um, the public ones are public, like HTML, plain text, text. And then, yeah, you're right. It's like, here's, you know, com.mycompany.myapp slash my specific file type. I just, I don't know how people are supposed to keep track of all of this stuff in general. Like I'm going to, <laughs> I have to put this image into it. So I'm, I love that this image is also a, a GIF. So I'm going to post this in here. It's because it's not a GIF at all, by the way. It's just like someone saved this image 
with a gif on top. So it's like sort of a a breakdown of how, it, for example, um, these data types could work. So for example, a public.movie could be a com.apple.quicktime slash movie or a public.mpeg, right? They could kind of group in that way. But I love that this image is a gif, which doesn't make any <laughs> sense at all. Hey, it's a good file format. It, it was around before PNG. The neat thing about UTIs is they form a hierarchy and there's almost like an inheritance scheme. In fact, it's weirder than that. There are two hierarchies. There's the data hierarchy and the content hierarchy, and you can merge them into different document types. It's complicated. That's why they have cute little pictures like this. Um, the neat thing, though, is when you're defining new data types, you can give them a parent data type. So when I registered CS project files for continuous on iOS, I said that project files inherit from XML files. And that means anything that can understand XML files on iOS, anything that opens a dialogue forum, anything that edits them, can now is now knowledgeable of the fact that csproj files are also XML. The neat thing is every app defines a small hierarchy and all those hierarchies get merged together into the operating system to form um, the means by which people can share data, apps can share data between each other. So have you used any of these sort of custom data schemes and different types, you know, Tons. UTI types for, for you do? Because I figure a lot of your applications are file-based. So I have to imagine that this is, you know, a, of issue. And also, you know, when I think of continuous, there are tons of other applications that perhaps could, you know, be launched, like get, get things and file things and a whole bunch of other things. So I'd be fascinated to see if like you've run into issues or the complexity or how you went about figuring out all this. Cause it's not super straightforward. No, it's not. In fact, it took years to kind of learn learn the UTI system because I made all the mistakes you can possibly make uh, in the past. But I, I want to say, first off, it's not just for files. It's also how the clipboard works on mm. Mac and iOS. Whenever you say what's on the clipboard, they always say, what format do you want the stuff on the clipboard? Because if you ever get like an advanced clipboard viewer for Mac, and you mm -hmm. hit Command C on something, you might see it's actually stored in a million different formats. There's an HTML version of it. There's a plain text version of it. There's probably a JPEG of it, because why not? <laughs> you know, so it has all of these things. And so, uh, like for my current app, I created a, a UTI type specifically for my clipboard objects. So I can still use the Apple clipboard, but I make it clear to Apple that uh, some of the data on the clipboard is my own private type. So it's like com.krugersystems.circuit. And then other bits on the clipboard are um, uh, uh, public, uh, public.text. So I'll try to put a text version of the circuit there. And that way, if someone pastes, if you know they hit copy in my app, go to like a word processor and hit paste, they'll get some textual representation of what they had copied. And it's neat. So whenever someone hits copy in your app, you can decide all the different formats for the data that you want to put up there. Oh, cool. So you can have sort of a priority scheme of saying like, yeah, I want my type of data first and then anything else I'll fall back on. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the 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 word app could paste in the text and then my app could very first 
query to see if there's the circuit data. If that's there, great. I can just deserialize that and insert it in directly. Otherwise, you know, I can figure out what to do based upon all the data's there. It's a it's a neat system. Um, do you want to talk about the details of it? Are you interested in that? <laughs> Yes, but let's first take a quick break and thank our amazing sponsor this week, Sync Fusion. Listen, you know Sync Fusion, you love Sync Fusion. You should probably be using Sync Fusion because they have the world's best UI component suite for building powerful web, desktop, and mobile applications. No matter what you're developing or what you're developing with, they have something for you. I'm very partial to the Xamarin UI controls in Sync Fusion. I love them. I use their graphs, their charts, their list views their drop downs, their sliders, their digital gauges, their basically anything. They have hundreds of controls built right in. They're beautiful and they're animated and they do everything that you just simply need. And you're like, oh, who doesn't want more controls? And if you are a data processor and you have a lot of data as well, they have awesome libraries like PDF, Excel, Word that'll help you process or even create those documents on the fly for any operating system. So give them a look. Go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict to learn about all the great controls that you've been using today in your applications. That's syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. And thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thanks, Syncfusion. Da, da, da. I they need do to a use lot. more of their controls. Yeah. You do say that every week. You say that all I the know. time. You should. I should, because I, I should. <laughs> it's the truth. I'm just reminding myself that I'll, I'll totally forget. Uh, so the nitty gritty of these UTIs are that Apple defines a whole bunch of them, and you can Google around and find their list of predefined ones. So if you're just working with normal data that's around there, chances are it's already in Apple's list. But then we get into the realm of custom data. And there's two ways you do this. In your info plist file, you create um, a document type in there. And what you can do is either import UTIs or <laughs> export UTIs. <laughs> and your app is either opening them or, or serving them up. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. You're, you're either defining them, that's when you export them, Mm -hmm. or someone else defined them, but you still want access to it. So here's a, here's a hypothetical. Uh, someone writes a Markdown editor, and they want to have Markdown uh, uh, UTI support, but they didn't invent the Markdown format. So they actually import Markdown, they say. Import it. Um, it's com.daringfireball.gruber is awesome. You know, wh whatever the type actually is. There is one out there actually for it. So that's an important case where you would import it. I actually made that mistake in Kelka. I exported it because Oops. like, yeah, I didn't understand. Like, I'm like, well, it doesn't exist. So I'm creating it. But what that did was forced my app to take over everyone else's apps who might have registered for that. Because mm. I was saying I am the creator of Markdown. Defer to me for all decisions. Classic Frank. Yeah. Always trying to take credit for Mark Gruber's work. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I just didn't understand the system. So what I should have done was import it. But for other things like uh, circuits, uh, I export for Calca. Actually, it's native format. I export. Uh, but if you're, mm, I'm trying to think of one, Microsoft Word or PDFs, that, that's a good one. Uh, you would import that one because Adobe created it. 
the trick is, even if you're importing it, it's not like there's a magic online database. You still have to provide all the data for it. So what Mm -hmm. I literally do is go to my applications directory, find an app that can already open the things, open the app uh, package, go to the info P list and drag their UTI definition into my app. It's kind of the best way to do it. Yeah. It's confusing too, because whether it's a custom data scheme or one of these UTIs or even a mime type, there's, I mean, mime types are a little bit better to find, but I feel as though with these, it's not like there's a database of them sitting around. There was at one point a data scheme website that you could go to if you were a developer. I don't think it's up to date or is not even around anymore because I remember when I was developing the Xamarin Evolve conference app, I wanted to be able to open like Twitter or TweetDeck uh, directly. And what was nice about that is that you could open directly to uh, a user's profile page or directly to a tweet instead of just launching the app. Um, And this was sort of before the URLs, but that was the other thing is, okay, so if I have a URL, like I want to detect like, okay, maybe you have TweetDeck installed, like use the TweetDeck stuff, else use the other thing and then then open the URL. Whereas if it's just a, a, a HTTP and I open Twitter, well, only Twitter Twitter's app could open it, right? TweetDeck couldn't open it because it's TweetDeck doesn't own Twitter.com. You know what I mean? So they wouldn't be able to register that HTTP. So there's this complexity around, well, the right thing to do is that multiple apps could maybe handle an HTTP or a specific type, or they could export a specific type, but then they don't have ownership of it. So it's, it's like this, this pull, this tug and pull between the creators of maybe a service or a specific data type and the developers that are trying to enhance that ecosystem. And it, and it makes it really complex. And then when it's even more complex to add this metadata into an info P list or an Android XML file. And as a developer, you just, your mind gets boggled because I can't, where do I find the thing? How do I, where would I share it with people? Like, how do I even go about this? And, and it just makes it powerful and then sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's the win 32 registry all over again. <laughs> no associating file types. It's funny when you were saying like, um, where do you even go for this information? I go to Wikipedia, oddly enough, that they list mime types and things like that on Wikipedia. So whenever I'm confused about what, what, what the correct mime type is for something, I don't think they list UTIs though, but there are a couple good reference UTI sites out there, but it definitely is a problem. Uh, especially with the way Apple's works, is that there is no definitive database out there. It's actually per machine or per user. I don't know actually how it works. I do think there is a way to get an export of it, though. So you could think of like finding a dev machine, installing every piece of software (laughs) you could ever imagine on it, and then doing an export, and then that way you could get all the stuff. But the truth is, uh, at least in my case, you install the app and look around. Do you remember way back in the day, A, you used to be able to just query the operating system and be like, hey, does uh, this URL scheme exist? Yeah. And then they're like, well, that's not cool. So instead, in your info P list, you have to list all the ones that you might query. That's what I'm and saying. Then, yeah. 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 And then do you remember like, 
Facebook or Twitter or someone abused it and they listed out like 10,000 apps <laughs> in their yeah. info list because they just got an iPhone, installed every app on it and kind of did that little export and mm-hmm. got a giant database. So I bet you if you paid some money, you could get that database. Yeah, you could Upworks that or something like that or Fiverr. It just go install and, fit and do all these steps. But no, it, it's I mean, that's that's definitely a problem, right? It's you you they enforce these things. But again, you could just I could have a, yeah, an Android manifest that has uh, it's ginormous, right? It's a ginormous file that has all the things. And I know why they're putting it in there is because they don't want just certain apps to arbitrarily be able to do stuff. But I don't know exactly what the harm is. In general, there must be some harm. And that's the thing that I can't figure out. Like there's this additional layer of complexity and security that Apple tracking. and Google. <laughs> what do you think it is? It's tracking. You can fingerprint someone based on which apps they're using. It becomes a tracking ID. So let's say I have a database of 10,000 apps mm. and I do a binary. I do a little bit vector of which apps do you have installed Chances are that's pretty unique in the world if it's a large database of apps. And now I have a tracking ID without having a tracking ID that follows you everywhere you're going. So there are a lot of this in general is called fingerprinting. So you're just looking for anything traceable about a user. And it's not so much that it's abused in the app market. I'm saying that because I'm thinking of iOS and not Android, but it's definitely abused on the web. People are looking for any possible fingerprint out there that's not a cookie, that's not a tracking image, you know. So that's where these things come from, fingerprinting. Yeah, so sort of like an ad network, they could perhaps attempt to be scanning for said known apps. Like, can I open this URL? Like when the the ad advert opens and then they may not have any information about you, but they have information about a thousand apps that are on your phone and they could... Like, oh, you have 10 fashion apps on your phone or this game, like you might be served up X, Y, Z. Oh, that's mischievous. And that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ads. It's just a, it's escalation because, you know, back in the day, they would just put a GUID on your machine and they would just track that GUID around. But security has prevented that. So people have to be more clever about all this stuff. Um. You know, putting some limits on it have to have other benefits too, but that's the one that came first to my mind. This makes sense. Oh man, okay, you're you're depressed. Okay, so which apps do you have that consume or look for data and other apps? Like, what are you thinking of here? Oh, I don't know. There's none, but no. <laughs> well, you know, I think that well, the, you know, the the problem where this uh, you know, booted up in was that Android 11 came out and there was a bug that came up on the Xamarin Essentials repo. And someone's like, Hey, like the, the phone dialer or whatever, the email thing doesn't work anymore. And it says it's not supported. And I was like, Oh, that's weird. Like, how would it just not be supported? And what we were doing was internally, we have like an is supported flag that we call. Mm -hmm. So if you call the API that says open email, we have our own internal is supported. And if, we detect that there's no email application that can, you know, support the data scheme mail to, then we, you know, return false, you know, we're like, or throw an exception that's like unsupported. So once this developer, um, compiled against Android 11, right? So it only happens when you compile against it. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to not compile against the latest on Android compared to iOS. 
But once this developer did it, it reared its ugly head. And I had to go dive through this stuff. I had to get Jonathan Peppers involved. I had to get like Leibowitz involved. And sure enough, I wrote a whole blog post on this. I'll link it in the show notes. But it's a brand new feature called uh, package visibility. Like packages are no are invisible unless your application specifies that it would like to peek in the hood under the hood to see these, which is similar to the info P list stuff that you were saying. So for our library, anybody that just wants to open an email, send an SMS, or open the phone dialer, or even open the browser, because even what we do is we say, like, is there any browsers installed? Well, you got to now specify that I want HTTP and HTTPS. And you're like, oh, that is annoying. That's, that's all I got to say. It's a little a little annoying uh, bit piece. Security always is. Imagine app development without security. Be so nice. It, it's funny that it's mail to. Like, that's a pretty important one. They, they locked down that one? Or were you doing something fancy with mail to? It's every single data scheme. Every data scheme is locked down unless you, you can't query. So you could call it. So that's, that's the, 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 that's the thing, even on iOS, right? You could call mail to, but if there's no mail app, it'll just, you know, return false or not do anything. So it's only when you query it, right. And you say, Hey, does anything support mail to? And if you don't specify that in your info P list or Android manifest, then it returns zero results. And it says, no, there's nothing installed, even though there is something installed. Is that true? Is that true on iOS also? It's 100% true. I That is interesting. I always just blindly, well, truth is, can, I use, can't open. I use the built-in, what is it, MF Composer, MF Mail oh. Composer, something Get ready, like that. Frank. Get ready, Frank. Get ready for me to blow your mind because that oh, entire no. API is completely broken because on iOS 14, you know what you can do? You can change your default email app. Exactly. And you know what doesn't work? So there's two two bugs. One built-in mail thing. Are are you no. you're killing me? No. You're killing no. me right now, James. Welcome to my life. It's a living hell right now. I so have we're a trying little to figure out mail thing in all my apps. Like it's it's just a little thing. You you know, you set a couple fields, you say show presenter thing or whatever. Yeah. It comes up. I love it. So uh, what, yeah, what we're doing now is we have to, and the the funny thing is mail two doesn't really support, it doesn't support from my understanding attachments at all, right? If you just call a URL, like how are you going to do that on Android? You can attach data packets and that's how it's always worked. But on uh, mail on iOS, on the MF mail compose view controller, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do it. So here's the two things. One MF mail compose view controller dot can send mail. That's an important API, right? That mm-hmm. you think you would be checking iOS 14. They always return true. They never return false. Even if they Great. have not <laughs> set it or the user is disabled, the mail app, it doesn't matter. So it's always, <laughs> always false. And then if you were to query can open URL, which would be an NS URL from string mail to, then of course you need to then add that into your info P list great (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm gonna have to review this in my apps great fun um hmm. Mm you made me depressed i'm I'm gonna say something kind of fun uh mail to colon is way more advanced than i ever think it is like yeah it has subject it has two it has some things but 
you can put like HTML encoded stuff on there. And oh, yeah. I'm sure I could jam in a mime encoded image in my HTML email. <laughs> so there'd be like some really weird ways you could do attachments with it. OS dependent, of course, because at least in the olden days, there used to be a, a 1024 byte limit on URLs. I'm sure it's not true anymore, but used to be around. Yeah, we, uh, uh, we, uh, we, scary. We, we have a nice one. Yeah, you can do body subject multiple twos multiple cc's multiple bcc's and then i think you can also do what do we do yeah mul- there's just multiple parts as it's really crazy yeah, it can really do i'm not sure about attachments but i'm imagining you're probably right on the doing something in there it would be kind of something nuts. gross yeah, yeah something gross so yeah what we're thinking about is letting the developer like ideally apple would fix this api right and we would say okay well if in an ideal world, Frank Krueger, see, Apple's gotten themselves into this hole, which is, is which is like the data schemes weren't really popularized, but now we have default applications which have to implement data schemes. <laughs> but then like the MF mail view controller, which would be awesome to use, like why can't Gmail open that up, right? If, if Gmail is the default, it should be able to open that thing, right? And it should, it should, it should, I don't know, it should work, basically, I guess. I don't know. It's, uh, it's it's crazy. I'm sure it will eventually. So Apple has a mechanism for that, the extensions, where they're able to host apps within apps. So they have it all figured out from a security model standpoint. So I figure it's just a matter of time before we have that, before you have Gmail Compose within iCircuit for yeah. all that working. But, you know, Apple, it'll probably be a different API. <laughs> They'll probably deprecate. <laughs> mf mail compose or whatever it's called yeah and and i'm okay with that i would i would be fine with that if ios 14.1 or 15 came out and they're like here's the new thing i just right now we're in this interim place where they've done this with a bunch of different different defaults where like on on android it's never really been an issue at all um because every intent anybody can open anything it's a magical it's a magical world where Gmail doesn't get priority access for like a special API for email. Um, just they, they just, they implement mail too. Right. And, uh, that, that kind of handles it. So this is a, a situation where Apple provided this beautiful API, but then they just open the world up just a little bit too much. You know what I mean? They just, just a little bit too much. And then it makes uh, this beautiful API, not as a- beautiful anymore. I agree. Um, it, it's so much better when they write every app and every background image or, or everything. But no, I, people have been wanting this feature for a long time. I'm, I don't, I, I was going to say I'm a fanboy, but I'm not a fanboy. I'm locked into the mail app because I just don't want to deal with anything else. It's funny because I actually host my email with Gmail. And mm-hmm. so I could a hundred percent use Gmail yep. for some reason. I'm just kind of hooked on Apple Mail, and it's all I use, mostly because of the OS integration. Uh, I'm not sure. I might be, just be a little too brainwashed to ever stop using it, but at least now there's a little potential there, huh? Yeah, we'll see. I, I just went, I only have just Gmail on my phone, and that's it. So I feel like since I never had anything else, Heather uses the, the built-in mail app for everything. So uh, I think that most people do, but I'd be fascinated to see if, any of these issues that we've talked about has nipped anyone in the butt, um, you know, as you're developing your app, upgrading your app. We talk about the beta summer, but it has turned into um, <laughs> GA fall because I'm still 
tweaking and tuning here, Frank. I'm finding new things. Like, how is it that I didn't find out about this until a month after the GA? You know what I mean? I'm still finding things of like little tweaks and tunes for both iOS and for Android. It's kind of crazy to me. Uh, yeah, but it's definitely been happening. I was upgrading file support in continuous and it took me forever. <laughs> I think I said, like, I'm going to give myself four hours to do these little upgrades I have my mind for. It took me a week, you know, just a week <laughs> to get the full security model implemented, the caching layer correct. And even then I tested it, tested it. I was so proud of it. I released the app. And someone showed me a very easy repo repro where I screwed up the security model and the app doesn't update. So it's just like, great. The very first person to talk to me about it found a bug in it. <laughs> the stuff's hard, turns out. It is hard. Uh, well, all right, Frank. I think that's going to do it for this week's uh, podcast. Look at Complain that. Cast? about data schemes. But no, it's not complaining. It's an explanation cast yeah it is i i can't believe i got to talk about utis before i got to talk about nsurls but that's the way the wind blows sometimes i guess there you go there you go all right everyone well definitely write in to see if this has uh nipped anybody before and uh if you're still finding new tweaks i would love to know if you're finding new crazy crazy bugs as well um that are just popping up and by bugs i mean it's a bug now in your app only because there was an operating system change so not not, not really an operating system bug, but definitely let us know um, right into the show. Go to mergeconflict.fm or you can hit us up on Twitter at mergeconflict.fm or at James Montemagno or at Proclarum. You can find those links, of course, on the website, like I just told you. So check it out. And of course, if you like this podcast in any, just any level, like just any bit at all, feel free to maybe, you know, leave us a little review and, you know, Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps the show and helps new people find this amazing podcast that you're listening to right now. That's going to do it for this week's Merch Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>